Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In today's episode, we welcome Darren Kane, Chief Security Officer at Australia's National Broadband Network, to share his thoughts on the evolving role of security in the C-suite. Join us as Darren sits down with Clark Rogers, Director of AWS Enterprise Strategy, to discuss the differences between the CISO and CSO roles, and why dropping the I may be the next step in the evolution of security leadership. Darren, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Clark, for the opportunity. Certainly. So if you'd be so kind, please tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your role at NBN. Okay. Well, so I'm the, the father of four. I'm the husband of one. Um, i have uh, currently the Chief Security Officer at Australia's National Broadband Network, which is a wholly owned government business enterprise, which provides wholesale broadband services to around about 8.6 million premises across Australia, which is uh, with the ability to kick connect to 11 plus million premises. I've been in that role now for eight and a bit years, um, previously uh, 11 and a half years in security roles, including the sort of directed corporate security at Telstra. Prior to that, I had six and a half years with the government, with your SEC, our Australian Securities Investment Commission, and before that, about 13 years with the Australian Federal Police. So my background has largely been in law enforcement and security now for almost 40 years. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I meet, I meet with a lot of customer CISOs, and we, we've seen the role of the CISO evolve over time. That I'd say it, it's fair to say in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a steady progression of, you know, the security office of being uh, somebody we have to have. And maybe, you know, the joke is they stay in the basement uh, and you only bring them out when you absolutely have to. So now we have CISOs regularly reporting to the boards. They're part of the C-suite. They're really part of the business overall. Can you share a little bit about how you've seen that role evolve in your experience and, and maybe specifically to Australia? So firstly, the CISO role, the Chief Information Security Officer role, incredibly important. As companies have become more efficient and effective, building on technology platforms and building into the digital age, the role of the CISO to manage security risk in that space has grown exponentially. But so has everything that sits on those technology platforms. So the role of the CISO to just focus on information security has actually become almost redundant. They're being asked now to actually concentrate on things like privacy, incident response, business continuity, um, particularly issues around operational technology. And as we actually have access control systems for building access points, as we have digital forensics, investigations requirements and so forth, you're finding that the role of the, the CISO, as you call it, the CISO, has grown and grown and grown to actually bring into issues other than information security. So I'm definitely the guy that says drop the I. If you need to have a CISO in today's big corporate roles, I believe you should, really should have a CSO. And all those areas of accountability that I spoke of, incredibly important nowadays. Um, trusted insider programs, privacy, privacy breach, incident response. That's a huge suite of accountability. And for the CEO, the C-suite and the board to actually have confidence in that being one streamlined effort, it's not unusual to have one person accountable for it. And that person now is the CSO. I'd also like to add that the importance of both the CISO and the CSO in the modern company or modern entity has become very, very significant. 
Um, the board, the C-suite, government particularly, understand now the risks that security represents. So therefore, that individual who's been tasked with owning that has a more significant role and is expected to be able to articulate and communicate as well as manage and lead. So first of all, I like the, I like the guy who drops the eye, right? So we need that on a t-shirt somewhere. Um, but to, to sort of poke back at that a little bit, you, you talked about managing the risk overall for the organization. How does one in that chief security officer role or the chief information security officer role for that matter, how, how do you balance the need for the organization to innovate and succeed from a business perspective with all the things that need to be done from a security risk compliance and privacy perspective? How, how do you quote unquote sell the security aspects of that to the business leaders while still innovating for your customers? That is a challenge. There is no doubt. And I think in the past, we've all been guilty of it, me included, of actually continually challenging the business to understand and appreciate the risk that we actually are accountable or responsible for. And by doing that, we would often catastrophize the risk and demand that they actually address the risk by further resourcing support or actual funding. Um, and by resourcing, I obviously mean workforce. And it's also recognition of the risk we manage. Now, I think that worked for a while while we were actually making all sorts of efforts to ensure they understood and appreciated the risk. But of late, to your point, most competent boards and certainly competent C-suites now have an unbelievable understanding of security risk. Their issue is what are we doing about it to control it? And how do we manage it within appetite? And this is to your point that if you continue to just sell risk as a catastrophe, <clears throat> that's a tight message. So the way I approach it is to actually work with the C-suite who are supportive and the board who are understanding and help them understand the importance of good security maturity, strong posture and hygiene, and what are the advantages and opportunities that come from that? The fact is that if they've got comfort that we're managing the risk to within appetite, can they then take funding away from me and place it somewhere else in the business, maybe around resilience? Right. Can they actually sleep a little bit more comfortable at night and concentrate on other issues like workforce? So my approach to it is um, security should be seen as an enabler rather than something that says no or is a blocker. Best analogy I can possibly use is if you can think of an entity as a high-performance motor vehicle and that the CEO is the driver. One would think the brakes in the motor vehicle, which are the security group, are there to stop the motor vehicle, and that's the most common appreciation and understanding of us. I don't agree with that. My belief is that the brakes are there so that the CEO, the driver of the vehicle, can take that car to the edge of its limits. And go faster, so to speak. Yeah. Right to the yeah. edge of its performance on the basis that they have confidence and knowledge that they can tap the brakes and stop if they have to. So that the actual security group enables the business to ride at the edge of its performance capabilities. Love it, love it. So do you report to the board yourself? I do uh, quite often through the Order and Risk Committee mm -hmm. and to board on occasions ad hoc, but certainly twice a year as a requirement. 
um, and obviously through to the C-suite. I'm a direct reporter of the C-suite, and I do that as often as required. What what kind of, and you know, not going into specific details, but what kind of information are boards interested these days or the C-suite interested in these days? Because, you know, for, for years it was, I've patched this many machines, we had this many vulnerabilities, I put in this new security piece of software to hopefully uh, squash those vulnerabilities. Are, are they still interested in the sort of the bits and the bytes or are you communicating risk in a different way to them? I, I think I'm communicating risk in a, a different way. Um, what you've just described is quite granular and more of a management report through to Exco than bought. But I'm a CSO, a chief security officer. So I have enterprise accountability for all things security risk across the NBN, which includes wholesale access to 8.6 million premises. Um, 85 to 86% of all data in in Australia, go across our network. Oh, wow. So when I brief the boards and the C-suite, I, I, I take a very holistic approach. If I'm asked to target something, I will provide more granular data. But in, in today's current environment, uh, geopolitical issues, uh, the threat environment, issues in Ukraine, issues in the uh, Indo-Pacific, um, issues um, with supply chain, sure. for example, um, are very, very significant. Uh, obviously, cyber risk, nation state and, and cyber crime is a, is a significant issue, um, like everywhere else in the world. So there's a, a really broad range of issues I can report on. If targeted and asked about um, cyber security specifically, um, certainly I'll give some details around that uh, and, and how we're managing controls in place to manage it. Uh, but at, at, at times, I try to keep a more broader wholesale view of um, what I report. And do you typically quantify the risk in, in terms of uh, P&L and, and, and money? Or what, what I, I guess what I'm really looking for is if, if I'm a board member, what, what, what language do I want to speak? And then how are you adapting uh, your conversation to them? No, you, look, great question. Um, traditionally, it's uh, hard metrics, um, to, to your point before. Um, but I think the future lies in quantitative analysis and an ability to actually identify risk in the language of the business. So the entity actually works on dollars and cents. And cents is spelled S-E-N-S-E. Um, so I don't think it's appropriate when I'm briefing boards, XCO or anybody to use language like um, attack surface, to use language like insider threat, to use language like um, bad actor. Uh, even the most recent example and trend in our industry, zero trust. Right. And my efforts are to get the board and anybody that works with me to trust me, to then try and um, use a word that's an, almost an antichrist, to me is, is a really a, a bad attempt at informing them on what I'm trying to do. So I think quantitative analysis and using money to actually identify risk as an overall versus the control cost and then the um, residual risk after that is, is, is probably the best approach. I haven't perfected that, but it's certainly something I'm looking at doing. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. So switching gears a little bit, um, staffing, right? So uh, I've yet to meet a CISO or a CSO for that matter, who is uh, satisfied with the amount of security personnel that work for them in the sense that I have enough, that we could always do with more. 
and uh, I've, I've spoken to several who have different ideas on how to sort of scale the security team throughout their organization without actually hiring additional security, uh, you know, security badge folks. What are you doing at NBN to, to really sort of get security out in front of everyone and out and across the business when you may have a limited security staff? I look at renewal uh, as much as retention. So, and in fact, in some ways, my focus is on renewal. There's only a limited amount of money I can offer to retain. There's only a limited amount of progression, development, and other opportunities I can offer to retain. At the end of the day, the industry needs talent. If I've got talent and it's their time to move, I say good luck. What my job is to ensure that what's left through succession and talent management, and then who we actually attract to the organisation, are going to be capable to fill the hole. So my focus really is through graduate programs um, and a recent internship, which I'm incredibly proud of. And if you've got five seconds, I'll quickly brief you on it. Please do. Um, what we recognised was we needed more diversity in our, in our graduate and intern take. Um, so uh, senior members of, our, of the SLT and the, the security group targeted um, uh, the Box Hill TAFE, so your community college. Okay. So it was a Box Hill TAFE in Melbourne, Victoria. And we offered internships to, uh, uh, to people who were trying to build a career into cyber security. Trying to target those looking at a secondary career or a return to work. And it just so happened that we got five wonderful women, um, either returning to work because of other issues or mothers and so forth, who had traditionally not had an experience in cybersecurity. Oh, wow. Uh, we offered them an internship initially for six months, which we were hoping to extend, even in these times. Um, and our goal was to make sure if an opportunity came up to employ them, we would. But if we couldn't, we would actually give them 12 months experience in the industry so that when they applied for roles external to us or across the business, they actually had that on their CV. And I'm very pleased to say that one was recently picked up by a top four consulting firm. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, we're doing as much as we can to, to place the others. And when you speak to um, these interns or these women, um, incredibly capable people who were really looking for an opportunity and a chance to excel. And, um, and I think that that's the example that our industry overlaw globally should pick up on, which is that most of the folk that you need to employ in the business need to have a curious mind with a great attitude. They don't necessarily need to have the hard skills because we all know you actually employ for attitude, you're trained for skills. Um, so for, to answer your question in short is my focus is on renewal rather than retention. And I'm incredibly proud of the Security Group alumni. Uh, we've got about eight or nine CISOs out there in Melbourne now coming through the NBN. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, from my perspective, um, um, it's as much of what we do to harden the industry as to build out the NBN. So your, your story about the intern program is, is fantastic. Um, I, I, as you know, I talk to a lot of CISOs and they talk about diversity in their teams, diversity of opinion, diversity of background, diversity of experience. Can you share a little bit about 
uh, that type of diversity in your team, that it's not everybody came from a computer science background, not everybody is a hardcore security researcher. Maybe you had somebody from HR, maybe you had somebody with a financial background that ended up being a great security practitioner. Again, I smile because your question's right on my hitting zone. Um, I'm a huge believer in the fact that if you're going to protect a village, you need villagers from all walks yeah. of life to do it. Um, I've got a great story. I, I had a fellow hit me up. He was during the pandemic, during lockdown, he was working for one of our national airlines, a very senior member of staff, a, a captain that trained other captains on uh, uh, Airbus. Mm -hmm. uh, he was let go. He ended up going to a community college, being Box Hill TAFE, and he hit me up on LinkedIn. Interesting story. Um, so I um, obviously responded and said, I'm interested to see where, where you get to. Unbeknownst to me, um, he had applied for a role at NBN sometime later, and we employed him on a contract. Right. And uh, he arrived having had a love for flying, but previously was in law enforcement in Western Australia. So there was a little bit of actual crossover. You had that connection. Connection. Yeah. So um, we um, we gave him a 12-month contract, and all he had was his uh, training at Box Hill TAFE over 12 months mm -hmm. on a, a, a certificate course. Sure. And obviously, great competence, both as a leader and a manager of people, and obviously hard skills in, in flying um, Airbus and, and uh, Boeings. Incredibly successful. Just fitted in. Uh, like a hand in glove, very much looking to bring him on full time. Mm -hmm. um, the pandemics finishes, um, we go back to our normal way, we'll try to go back to our normal way of life. Um, just as we we're about, well, he was about to accept the role we would offer him. Um, he was offered the permanent senior captain's role back in the airline. <laughs> and um, if you, you know, he, there was a great article on him um, returning to the air, having had that experience. Wow. Yeah, great example of exactly what you said. It had nothing to do with experience nor capability. Sure. It had everything to do with communication skills and ability to actually engage and a willingness to learn. And I'm finding that if you can find folk with that sort of, um, all of those attributes, um, you, you will have success because all they're looking for is an opportunity yep. and that'll grow with them. And then the different perspectives are just so helpful throughout uh, every part of your security department. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and one of the things, it's not as, as important in Australia because we're not as uh, diverse as far as um, language skills. But uh, we're finding that more and more down there, that a, a diversity of origin, yeah. uh, a diversity of religion, um, certainly a diversity of gender is yeah. becoming very, very important. If you're a, a competent leader and manager, you under the, understand the importance of diversity and what they bring to a team. So with NBN's 8.6 million customers or so, plus all of the data centers you have, and just the fact that you know technology uh, continues to expand into everyone's life, uh, what role does sustainability play in the way NBN sort of governs its resources and, and, and thinks about it, how it affects customers? Well, if you think about what we're offering as a product at NBN, okay, um, it enables people to work from anywhere, to work from home. So you've got carbon footprint issues, you've got um, paperless office issues, you've got um, places where we don't leave uh, a carbon footprint because of the fact we're using technology to actually improve it. We have 8.6 8 million premises connected and you know, 
that may have multiple people at home. Or, but where I look at this is um, it, it is an opportunity for us to bridge the digital divide in Australia, to give everybody that needs the access the access, but also to ensure that where we can utilise technology to perhaps even reduce the carbon footprint. Uh, if you think of the ability to work from home, I certainly believe it wasn't road and rail that saved the Australian economy from an infrastructure perspective during the recent COVID lockdowns. It was connectivity. Sure. And the, the opportunity for people to learn new ways of working has come through that technology. Um, with that, obviously, comes an ability going forward for hybrid or remote work, for more folk living in remote and rural Australia, reducing the carbon footprint by not travelling to work back and forth. So... From my perspective, um, I can see technology and the way we actually utilise it going forward, particularly through connectivity, will actually certainly offer, you know, uh, carbon reductions and, and, and greater sustainability. So I realise, you know, you don't have a crystal ball in front of you, but, you know, you've been in the security industry, I believe you said, for, you know, close to or just over 40 years. What do you think we'll be talking about Five years from now? In 2025, I'll be in my 40th year. Um, I don't think I've ever experienced a threat landscape like the one that we're facing into currently. I don't think we in this industry can appreciate what I believe generative AI and machine learning will bring to the industry in way of opportunity and technological advances. I think, if anything, it'll also ramp up that threat landscape. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really exciting. I think uh, data and data volume will be um, uh, exponential growth and, uh, and an ability to actually manage that. Um, I've got all sorts of um, concerns, I suppose, on making sure that the community don't leave the security risk up to those they pay to do security. Does that make sense? My mantra is that security is now going to become everyone's responsibility. You, you can't say you're the chief security officer and the team now own the risk because that risk is one that can only be managed within appetite by ensuring everybody that engages on that space be it the cleaner, Mm -hmm. that ensures they lock the door behind them. Sure. Be it the busy PA with the lazy forefinger that doesn't understand that they've clicked on a link. Be it, um, obviously, uh, the cybersecurity professionals in our defence or CSOCs. All of those people now have a responsibility as we go into these next three to five years to ensure that they appreciate and understand how to put controls in place to manage the risk. And I think one of the things that we have to encourage them to do is to speak up when they think they may have seen something or done something so that we can manage that. And, um, fishing drills and other things are examples where it's a learning experience. Sure. It shouldn't be one that is a disciplinary experience. So if that's going to be uh, you know, the, the, the future state, what are you doing now from sort of a security culture perspective to help sort of build that uh, mental muscle into the roles outside of security so that they're thinking about security all the time? I think most importantly, we're not catastrophizing the risk. So what I like to try and do is sell the upside, sell the opportunity, 
not always constantly say, don't do this because of the risk. Goes back to that motor car analogy. Yeah. You know, the brakes are there to tap if you need them, but go out and enjoy your life. Love it. Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. Great and great opportunity. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.